Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. And turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. From the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would give light to your word, that we would see our own blind spots, that we would see what we need to see, oh God, and be convicted and be transformed and know that Christ is our only hope and help in this life and in the world that is to come. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There are four things that I would like for us to see today from our passage of Scripture. And the first is this. Let's see a short history. Let's see a short history. And I'm just going to give you a brief context of Luke chapters 6 and 7. I think they're important in understanding our passage today. In chapter 6, Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, records Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount. That's in chapter 6. In chapter 7, Luke shows Jesus 
healing the centurion's servant by only giving the word. We see Jesus intervening during a funeral procession. He raises the widow of Nain's son from the dead just by commanding the young man to rise. In verses 18 through 35, we see John the Baptist again. He sends his disciples to Jesus. He, he's at a moment of doubt. And he inquires of Jesus' messianic identity. And Jesus sends assuring words back with John's disciples so that John can be encouraged and strengthened that the scriptures are being fulfilled. For he says in Luke 7, verse 22, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, the poor, the poor have good news preached to them. Luke 7, verses 29 to 30, I think are very important in this context as well. They read, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Here Jesus preaches the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus demonstrates the powers of the kingdom of God here in Luke 7. And it says the people listening, including who? The tax collectors and the sinners, excuse me, and the lawyers. They confess the justness, the righteousness of God. The people listening, including the tax collectors, no lawyers, confess the justness, the righteousness of God. And Luke, interestingly enough, provides the detail of the tax collectors. They recognized and they publicly voiced that God is righteous. The Pharisees and the lawyers, though, they don't. They reject God's purpose for themselves. Well, what does this mean? These men, they didn't get baptized by John. They didn't believe what he said to them. They rejected his ministry. John was a prophet. They rejected his ministry, i.e. they were rejecting God. God sent John to them. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. Well, John the Baptist's ministry pointed to the coming of Christ. He reported, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in John chapter 1. He was a true prophet. He was not a false prophet. By rejecting John the Baptist's ministry, the Pharisees and lawyers rejected God and God's purpose. Therefore, they are also rejecting Jesus. In verses 34, in verse 34, Luke says, they call Jesus, Jesus says, this is what you call me, a glutton and a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, the second point gets us into our passage. Second point is this, Jesus fully knows everyone. Jesus fully knows everyone. In verse 36, Luke, and, and let me do stop here and say this, I do hope you still have your Bibles open. Remember I said to y'all about a month ago, keep those Bibles open, don't close them. <laughs> In verse 36, Luke informs that a Pharisee, a Pharisee, a Pharisee, <laughs> one more just so you get it, a Pharisee, 
the keeper of the law, invites Jesus to his home for a meal. It's important to keep in mind here Jesus' popularity. Everybody knows who he is in the sense of they see what he's doing, they hear of what he's doing. His knowledge, the knowledge of him and his ministry, it's, it's making its way around. And it's ironic to see that a Pharisee invites Jesus, a man who's friends with tax collectors and sinners, into his home for a meal. Why? Why? Why does he invite Jesus to his home? Well, this particular Pharisee, whose name is Simon, he had his reasons. But what's more important for us today is for us to see that Jesus goes for his own reasons. And his reasons supersede all other reasons. Well, what is a Pharisee? What's a Pharisee? They were a group, a denomination, if you will, within the people of Judaism whose chief concern was keeping the law and the traditions according to their interpretation. They were religious leaders. They stood out in society. They were very concerned about their society. They were concerned about the moral activities of people. They were, in a sense, upstanding people. But they were also judgmental people. These are the religious people the religious rulers, the people who know about God. Well, next we see that a woman of the city who is a sinner. I think it's very, very interesting when you read the Gospel of Luke how much detail he puts in there. She's of the city, and she's a sinner. She hears that Jesus is eating at Simon's house, and she gets to the house with an alabaster box and an eagerness to be near Jesus, to wash his feet, to honor him, to worship him. But yet again, notice Luke's details. She's a woman, she's from the city, and she's a sinner. Now just so that there is no confusion about what a sinner is, a sinner is a person who misses the mark of the standard of God's command. It's every one of us. God demands perfection and we can't do it. Well, these people know that she's a sinner. Well, what's the implication? Everybody knows her. Everybody knows her. Everybody knows what her lifestyle is like. Everybody sees her. She is the one people gossip about because of how she lives. She's in rebellion to God's law. Don't you begin to wonder I mean, it, it's pretty natural, I think. What were her particular sins? What, what was it? <clears throat> Maybe she was a thief. Maybe she was a prostitute. Maybe she was an adulterer. Maybe she had several children, but she's not married. Maybe she's a severe gossiper. Maybe she's a well-known liar. The point, the point is she cannot outrun her label. It is impossible. The people around her, they keep her identity. Her specific falling short of God's glory always in front of her, everywhere she goes. Her sin defines who she is in the eyes of the people of the city. Well, she hears that Jesus is eating at Simon the Pharisee's home and she brings this alabaster jar of ointment or perfume or perfumed oil. But 
she brings it. It was pretty costly. She brings it there. She enters the house of this Pharisee, this lawkeeper. She stoops down like a servant. She takes care of the feet of Jesus. Though this is Jesus, his feet are no doubt very dirty, very smelly. He's been walking around in the dust. She gets down on her hands and knees behind him, like right around here. And she's weeping. She can't stop weeping. And as she's crying, she lets her hair down, which as I was reading was not good for them to do. She takes her hair and she wipes these dirty feet of the Savior. She uses her own hair. She even kisses his feet. She takes one of the most prized parts of her own body, her hair, and she gets it dirty. But she's made an incredible contribution of service to Jesus because his host hadn't even considered at all taking the place of a servant and cleaning Christ's feet. And I don't want you to forget, everybody at this dinner knows who she is. Everybody at this dinner knows what her lifestyle is about. Everybody is aware of her shortcomings. She walks into a house of judgment. She walks into a house of condemnation. I think we should feel that. Why in the world would she go to that house? Why that house? They, they, they may mock her. They may make fun of her. They may ridicule her. They may say condemning things to her. She may be treated as an inferior human being. And yet she goes to the house and takes care of her service to Jesus anyway. Why? Why? Because Jesus is there. Because Jesus is there. Luke 7 verse 22 says, Jesus gives the blind their sight. Jesus makes the lame walk. Jesus cleanses lepers, people whose skin is falling off, people who have been ostracized from society. They've been set out and apart because their condition is contagious. He even touches them. He gives them their dignity. He causes the deaf to hear. He raises the dead. Now, I've never seen that happen. I know you haven't either. That's right. He's listening. He preaches good news to poor people. Jesus knows you, and Jesus knows me. He knows us through and through. If I can just get to Jesus, I can imagine her saying this, if I can just get to Jesus, I know he can make my life brand new. She's heard of what he's been doing. He sees and perfectly knows all of my faults, all of my weaknesses, all of my foolish decisions, all of my wicked habits. Jesus knows the totality of the sinner that you and I, that, I, that we are. And the Bible says he can save us. He can rescue us from this. 
leads to the third point. Jesus fully forgives all who trust in him. Jesus fully forgives all who trust in him. The one thing it does not say in this text, but it's glaringly there. All eyes are focused on the woman who is a sinner. But in the course of the story, that Jesus, in the course of Luke telling this episode from the life of Christ, and Jesus is getting ready to tell a story, what we also see is that the Pharisee is a sinner. The Pharisee is a sinner. The religious man, the law keeper, the one who thinks he's got it together. And Jesus corrects this sinful Pharisee. He knows what he's thinking. He's a mind reader, y'all. Used to be a song when I was growing up they would sing. Uh, he's a mind regulator. It means he knows what you are thinking. Jesus knows that Simon the Pharisee doubts his prophetic ability. He knows that Simon condemns this woman and only sees her sin. So Jesus decides to tell Simon a little story. A story with a superb lesson. The story teaches the meaning of forgiveness and what it takes to forgive someone. I read it. I'll come back to it again. But it's a story about these two debtors. One owes a lot of money. A lot of money. The other one owes not so much money. But Jesus wants Simon, the Pharisee, to understand the point of forgiveness. And it's interesting, there's another place where debt is used in terms of forgiveness. And I want, I want to get, tell you a, 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 another story along with this story. When I was in college, you've all heard me say this, you'll hear me say it numerous times. When I was in college, I was involved with a college ministry called Campus Outreach. Campus Outreach was about making disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was part of that ministry. I learned a lot there. At Christmas, or right after Christmas, we would have uh, a conference that we called the Christmas Conference. They call it the New Year's Conference now. But we would have these keynote speakers, had famous Christian <laughs> speakers would come and challenge us. And we would also have these breakout seminars. And I remember one breakout seminar in particular. It was on forgiveness. I will, I'll never forget it, actually. A couple who was on staff with Campus Outreach at a college in North Carolina where I had, I, I knew these people, I know these people, they shared with us something I never even dreamed they would. They talked to us about being incredibly, severely, harshly angry with each other as a married couple. They talked about how viciously angry they were with one another and, and things that they'd said to one another, blaming the other person for their issues. They said it got very, very bad. I, I, th these were our leaders. I was thinking, that doesn't, that doesn't happen to people like that. They got it all together. With tears in their eyes, they shared with us. They had stopped loving one another. God shared with them, by his grace, they were angry 
blaming one another, hating one another. And by his grace, God showed them they weren't loving each other because they weren't forgiving one another. They were refusing to forgive one another. Now, what's interesting in what they told us, they shared with us from a passage in Matthew where it talks about a debtor, excuse me, a debtor who owed another man a lot of money. Someone owed him money. He got forgiven of what he owed, but he didn't forgive the man that owed him. What stood out to me was this. They said, when you forgive someone, you have to pay their debt. That means you got to take the offense. It means life's not all about you. That sunk deeply into me. Only a person in whom the Spirit of God lives can do that. And there are a lot of married people in here, in here today, and I know you've dealt with some of the same things. You don't have to be married. I'm not married yet. To know what it is to be hurt in relationships and to have to pay the debt of forgiveness. Luke says, excuse me, this is exactly what Jesus illustrates in verses 41 to 43. The moneylender canceled the debt of both who owed him. The moneylender took the debt upon himself. He removed it from their responsibility. One owed a lot of money, the other less. One of them would love the moneylender much greater. Isn't that something? Which one will love him more? The one who was forgiven the higher debt. Y'all, forgiveness is not easy. It's not easy. I imagine that there are those here this morning struggling deeply with forgiveness. And I want you to listen to Jesus' words as he concludes the passage. Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears, and she's wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, her sins, which are many, they're numerous. Everybody knows them. But I'm telling you, her sins are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, the warning, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins, your imperfections, your falling short, your willful disobedience to God, your secret activities, your wicked thoughts, they're forgiven. They're forgiven. Go in peace. Then those who were sitting at the table with him began to say, who, if I can contemporize, who in the world is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The fourth thing I want you to see is this. Jesus is one of a kind. Jesus is one of a kind. 
passage ends with a question and a declaration. Notice the question in verse 49, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus, according to the scriptures, he makes all the difference in the world for all who would dare to trust him. He makes all the difference in the world. When you know that Jesus fully knows you and that he fully forgives you, your life will necessarily be different. Your relationships will be different. How you treat people, how you perceive of others will necessarily, it'll have to be different. How you label other people will indeed be different. At the foot of the cross, everyone, nobody stands above anybody else. Every person is a sinner in the sight of God. All of us, every one of us, nobody in this room is perfect. And we all stand in desperate need of God's forgiveness because apart from Jesus, God is angry with us. But when we trust in Christ, as this woman trusted in him, God forgives and the gap between us is gone. And we're brought together with him again Everybody needs forgiveness, and it's a message you all that God has given to us to share. It's a message he's given to us to live. Though through Jesus you can be forgiven, he will enable you to forgive others for incredible hurts and disappointments. I read a book by a man named Larry Crabb when I was living in Charlotte, going to seminary the first time, and I'll, I'll never forget, there was a line in it, and I, I, after I read it, I just had to put the book down and do a little weeping. He said, you have the right to be disappointed with those you love the most. I never heard that before. He wasn't saying condemn them. He wasn't saying that, but he was saying, we do endure very hard things. He says, he's basically saying, yes, we're a sinner, and those you revere the most... <laughs> They'll let you down. They may hurt you as well. But we don't stop there. We forgive them. We, we forgive. We pay the debt that they owe to us. We take it on. Jesus will enable you, with the love of God, to forgive others and to love them with the love of God. Jesus fully knows you. And Jesus fully forgives you. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, apart from you there is no forgiveness. Life does not make sense without you. We live in a world where, God, what's on television, what's in the movies, what's on our smartphones, what's in magazines, if people still read those. Everything else is incredibly influential. Everything in this world says, get yours, get yours, let me get mine. And yet, your word declares every human being is out of fellowship with you if they are apart from Christ. And today we see our Savior forgiving, forgiving the worst. And Lord, we see that we are the worst. 
and we are desperately in need of your forgiveness. For those among us today, God, who are wrestling with deep, deep, hurtful issues, I pray that you'd grant them the ability to forgive, to see Christ high and exalted, and to know that we have been forgiven much. Thank you, Father, for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.